I think those of us that are good in our 40s have had some time away from the sport to maybe find other, follow other passions or other dreams, and then come back to the sport with a renewed passion and a renewed desire to run really well. Excellence is about standing, and excellence is a requirement for your dream come true. Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, I talk to the amazing Natasha Wodak. Natasha is a two-time Olympian, initially running the 10,000 meter before moving to the marathon. Her journey is not the typical success early, retire early. When she was younger, she didn't have the confidence she could be a champion. So she took a break from running for a few years before finding the passion again. And this passion is the biggest part of her amazing return. Her climb through the world ranks up to the Canadian marathon record she set in Berlin in September 2022. At 41, Natasha is still progressing, aiming the 2024 Olympics in Paris and maybe a few more records. This episode is an amazing story of resilience and longevity. Indeed, it's been quite some time since her first run. I'm going way back. I think I was like in grade two. I remember doing a little road race with my dad. Uh, and that was the first, I think it was like a 1K or a 2K. Um, and I, I did really well. I don't remember exactly how I did, but I did really well. And that's when we knew that I was going to be a good runner. <laughs> nice. So what, what is grade two? So I'm from France, so I don't know all the levels, even less when it's in English. So what's level two? What age are you at, at that point? I feel like maybe I was like seven or eight years okay. old. Okay. So you yeah. were running with your dad. Did you have like a history of running or sport in general in your family or were you kind of the the first to be uh, you know, inspired and, and wanted to reach uh, high levels uh, a lot of soccer in our family yeah i played okay. soccer actually uh the metro level up until grade 12 until i went to university so um yeah and then my dad played soccer referee soccer and my brother played as well so big soccer family Okay, but you're the first in, in the, the running world um, to you know, reach different levels. Okay, um, so oh, yeah, you're sure. pretty young at the beginning. Were you born uh, and raised in, in BC? Yeah, I was born and raised in a suburb of Vancouver called Surrey, which is okay. about um, 40 minutes outside of the city. Okay, and, and is, uh, is BC renowned for uh, birthing uh, runners or, or not? Did you have like a, a oh, surroundings yeah. of, of people? Absolutely. Like BC, Vancouver in particular is one of the best places in the world to run. Like I have been very fortunate that I have traveled a lot with my um, racing career and have been able to run in many different places. And I always say that we are, we are truly privileged to live in Vancouver with the, um, with the climate, first of all, with the beautiful trails, the seawall, beautiful tracks, like We pretty much have it all here. If you're a trail runner, we've got amazing trails, you know, so uh, definitely a great place to run and train. Sweet. Yeah. So I've heard of Victoria being like nice all year round with like a very microclimate in a way. Is that the case also for Vancouver? Can you, you know, uh, uh, run and, and go outside 12 months a year? Yeah. Victoria is a little bit more mild, but I mean, we're talking like, maybe they get a little bit less rain or a tiny bit less snow. We generally only have, I would say about two weeks of the whole year where yeah. there's snow. And even when there's snow, it's generally pretty runnable here. I think in this last winter, I was stuck on a treadmill three times for the whole year. Okay. So it's pretty much, you can run outside all year round. Okay. So you wouldn't uh, perform at your level if you were born and if you stayed in Montreal, for example. <laughs> no, there's no way in hell I would live and train in Montreal through the winter. Absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I know it's a nice city, but it is too cold for me in winter. <laughs> and I actually see a few people uh, running. It's They are rare, rare breeds, I would say. But is, is it something that you can do running at minus 20 Celsius? I mean, I'm sure that you can. It's just hard on the lungs. And yeah. if it's icy on the ground or there's snow on the ground, your injury risk just goes way up. So 
it's uh, sure you can run as a, you know, everyday runner. If you want to go and run easy, you need to just, that's fine, but you can't do workouts of -hmm. quality workouts without a huge injury risk in, in those kinds of conditions. Okay, perfect. So uh, going back more on the technical aspect of your sport, you're a runner, but runner is a wide uh, definition. It goes from the 100 meter to marathon and, and even more. Um, yeah, where did, when did you start specializing in, uh, in a distance? And I think we'll talk about it later. You um, changed dur- during your career. But yeah, what was your first uh, specialty and how did you uh, end up uh, in, in that one? Yeah, I started with... You know, like in high school, I was more of an 800, 1500, 3000 meters. Um, and then throughout college, I started running the 5K and I didn't run my first 10K until after university in like 2007. I think um, I ran like the Vancouver Sun Run 10K road race. And then, yeah, I just went from there. I took uh, took some time off in the late 2000s like 2000 and I guess 7 to 2010 and then when I started training again in like 2010 2011 um yeah the 10k became my main event and I started running some half marathons as well and the longer I ran the more uh I liked it and the more successful I was and then I ran my first marathon in, in 2013 and just in the last three years I've really um gone to the marathon full on and I actually haven't been back to run a 10,000 on the track in since 2019. Um, I've just really fell in love with the marathon, but I am planning on running a 10,000 on the track next month, actually. So, okay, nice. Where, what, what event, what competition? Uh, the Canadian 10,000 meter championships okay. are here in, um, in Langley, BC. Okay, interesting. Uh, so yeah, up to 10,000 meters or 10 kilometers, it's on the track. And then above that, so semi-marathon or marathon, you are like on the roads and stuff, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you stopped running or at least stopped running at, at the highest level in 2007-ish. Uh, you were 24, 25? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What, what, uh, what, brought you there um i mean you probably were running at the you know international level for for a few years but it's it's still quite young was it more of i'm bored and i've i've done it all or was it just physical mental no i was i had never made a national team okay um anything like that in college i was i mean i was good but i was pretty average uh you know never won a national title anything like that and So when I finished university, I was, you know, I was like, that's the end of my running career as well. Um, But yeah, I took uh, some time off and then I I ended up not getting the career that I was hoping to. And so I decided to like, you sort of reevaluate my life. And in the meantime, I started, I started running again. And um, that year I just started getting faster and uh, realized that I could actually be really good at this. So uh, yeah, I made my first national team when I was, uh, I believe I was 28 or 29. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, when you said you took some time off, I would assume it's not taking time off like I would, which is running once every six months. You probably kept, uh, you know, kept kept running and uh, and practicing necessarily if you came back and got into the, the national team. Yeah, I was running like three or four days a week. Just like right. easy running, but I wasn't like, um, I wasn't doing workouts or anything like that. Okay, so and up until you took the time off uh, around 24, 25, um, you mentioned university, but you probably left university before being 24. Did you just not um, got the results you wanted or needed to get into the national team, or were you not focused solely on, on running at this point and you had, you know, a sp- studies and and, um, a part-time job or a full-time job on the side? Yeah, I had a part-time job. I was going to school full-time and I was running well, but I, you know, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't that good that I was like, oh yeah, I, you know, I could make a a national team or anything like that. I was just, I didn't see it happening. And so, um, yeah, when I finished university, it was an easy decision because I hadn't really, um, 
I hadn't run as fast as I would have liked and I wasn't as committed as I should have been. So, um, yeah, I mean, I still worked hard and I wanted to run well, but I just, it wasn't happening for me. And, and looking back, I understand I was very, very busy and I sort of did the minimal amount. And so I got, you know, sort of minimal results. <laughs> Cause is it because you didn't have the, you didn't know you could reach the top level because you, I mean, if you're not at your peak, you'll reach your peak at some point, but you, you kind of knew that you didn't yeah, reach your peak because I of was, training. I didn't think I was good enough. Yeah. I didn't think that I had what it took to be at that level. Yeah. Okay. And, and is it, could it be also because you didn't find like the proper training center or the proper you know, entourage in a way to, uh, to you know, train to the, to the highest level, the, the level that you need to you know, reach nationals. And, I guess and... that, wasn't, that wasn't what I wanted at that time in my life. I was going to school um, to get a degree, to get a job, and I was running on the track team to run well on the track team. And that's as far as it went. I wasn't like, I want to make the Olympics. I want to make world champs. It was like, I just want to go to our regional meet and run well. And that was good enough for me. Interesting. Interesting. What were you uh, studying? Pardon me? Uh, criminology. Criminology. Okay, so you did um, graduate in criminology. Have you ever worked uh, in criminology or in any uh, related field? No, it was kind of a waste of time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is not, it is not. You always learn some stuff. Good. It's always good to get a degree, but um, I had wanted to go into policing and then um, yeah, that didn't, that didn't work out. And then I, I thought about being a probation officer And I took the course for that. And then um, I just, by the time I went traveling when I took time off. And then by the time I, you know, was like, oh, going to do, I didn't want to do it anymore. It wasn't a job that appealed to me when I, when I learned a little bit more about it. Uh, and then I just started getting into the running and realized that like um, there weren't, there weren't jobs in the criminology field that I really wanted to do. And so um Looking back, it probably wasn't a degree I should have picked, but I didn't really think it through in what the options were. And so, you know, ultimately I, I have not had a job in the field and I don't see myself having a job in the field going forward, but that's okay. You know, I had a great experience in college and, uh, you know, you still, you know, you still take a lot away from getting a degree and, and all that stuff. So okay. that's fine. Interesting. So it, it was more of a... Yeah, um, a need to, uh, yeah, need to have a, a degree in a way which you did, yeah. but you never really used it. Okay, um, okay. So yeah, <laughs> going back on the uh, well, after you return uh, from the the step back that you took for three four years, um, it seems like it, it really started from here for you that you started said uh, getting to the national team, uh, getting to international competition up until. September, I think, last year when you uh, you got the national uh, record on the marathon. Yep. So between 2010 and 2022, uh, what happens in between? Uh, how do you come back from that uh, time off? Um, and how do you, uh, yeah, go back on the on the that mindset of training probably six days a week? And there must be a point where you realize that oh, now I know I can make it, and I know I can you know break records and uh, and be amongst the best. Yeah, it, um, it's been uh, amazing last like 13, 14 years. And I never would have predicted when I started training with my old team again, you know, back on 2010, that I would be where I am today. Like never in a million years would I have said, when I'm 41, I'm going to be training for the Paris Olympics and the marathon. <laughs> like, no way, no way at all. Um, So it's really cool. It just sort of organically happened. You know, I started training again and the more committed I was, the better I ran. And so I became more committed, if that makes sense, you know, and the better I did, the, my goals changed and I was like, I, you know, and so it was just over a matter of like sort of three or four years where, um, I just started to get better and better. And in 2013, um, I ran a 25-28-8K on the roads, which is still an unofficial Canadian record um, 10 years later. And that was like, that was the first time I had ever 
ran any, anything even close to like a Canadian record. And I was like, wow, like if I can run that in an 8K, I might be able to run like the world champ standard this summer in the 10K. Like what the heck? And so that was really, I remember that was January of 2013 where I was like, okay, like I think I can be really good at this. And I became very committed and solely like, this is what I want to do. I want to see how good I can be. And yeah. And, and from there, we, everything was dedicated to running and to being the best that I could be. And well, there's been a few years that have been incredibly difficult, you know, with injuries and illness and just life in general, like going through a divorce and dealing with some anxiety and, and things like that. Um, I have just continued to improve and really enjoy the sport and um, travel. And it's just been such an incredible experience. And well, there's been a lot of very difficult times. Um, they have made me who I am today. And I feel even more grateful to be um, doing what I do. And, and yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy when I'm sitting here thinking about the last 13 years and going through each year. And I just can't believe that I am where I am today. And I feel very fortunate. That's amazing. And you mentioned you're, you're 41 now. Are there many marathoners above 40 right now trying to to, uh, to qualify for, for Paris? You know, that's, uh, that's a great question because there are. And <laughs> in Canada and in Australia, the, the top two females in both countries are over 40. So Melindy and I are, uh, she, she's 43 and I'm 41. And in Australia, Lisa Whiteman has run 223 and she's 42. And Sinead Diver has run 221 and she is 45 and they're the top two Australians and we're the top two Canadians. And so I think that's really cool. And in the U S you have, you know, Sarah Hall who just turned 40 and she's run 220. Kiara D'Amato, I believe is 38 or 39 and she's run 219. So um, yeah. And Edna Kiplagat, I believe is also 40 or 41. She won the Boston marathon last year. Mm -hmm. So there are so many incredible women um, that are train running really well and the best in their country at 40 or older. So, yeah. Is it the same in the men category? There's a few men. I mean, I don't know. How old is Kipchoge? I mean, I feel like he's like 40, but apparently mm. he's 38. Who knows? <laughs> so, yeah, he's definitely up there, too. Okay. And what would explain that because it it feels like it's rare any other sport where that is the case that you have people reaching their peak above 40 whether it's you know basketball hockey soccer whatever and marathon is uh, i never ran a marathon but i can only assume it's one of the toughest um, sport and disciplines and the people you know that ran run a marathon for the first time they say it's that some sort of an out-of-body experience so you really you know push the limits uh, of the things you can do so yeah what What do you think, you being one of the above 40 champions, what do you think uh, uh, make that happen? Um, I think one of the main things is that all of us have had some sort of break in the last 20 years. Like if I had been running marathons since I was 20 every year, I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. You know, um, so, you know, those other three women that I mentioned, they have two kids, mm -hmm. so they've taken time off and then come back to the sport. So It's one of those things that you can take time off. You can take five or six years away from the sport and then come back and be able to be good again. And I think um, that's also very important is to have, you know, if you want to be good in your 40s, you can't be running marathons from the age of 20 solid through. Your chance, you're, you're very likely to get injured or burnt out or those sorts of things. So I think those of us that are good in our 40s have had um, some time away from the sport to, you know, maybe find other, follow other passions or other dreams, and then come back to the sport with a renewed passion and a renewed desire to run really well. I think that's important as well to have, you know, that, that really strong passion and love for the marathon to be good at it. That's, that's very interesting. And um, yeah, so maybe age doesn't necessarily dictate the peak of, you know, performance and stuff, but maybe number of years that you practiced for and how much the passion is still still around because probably you train i, I don't know six times a week or more um yes what is exactly uh your, your training schedule 
Yeah. Um, we, we don't have, we say there's no expiry date. Like it's not mm-hmm. like, Oh, I'm turning 43 and boom, I can't run anymore. So um, yeah, we're definitely those. Oh, when you're in your forties, you're not going to be good at sports anymore. You know, that that's thrown out the window now. So um, my training is, I basically run 10 days on and one day off. So I'm sort of in that cycle. So my day off will fall on a different day depending on the cycle. But yeah, I I usually run um, at least once a day, usually twice a day, um, or I run and I cross train. Um, I also have strength training twice a week. I do Pilates. Um, I have regular massage and physio and chiro. So I stay, I stay pretty busy, but you know, the most important thing about my training schedule is that I take the time to really um, enjoy my life. And I like to sit on the patio on a nice day and have a glass of wine with my partner and, you know, go for ice cream and, and do the, do the things that, you know, are normal. I'm used to putting my hands up. It can't all be all about running all the time. And I think that is, Another reason why I have been so successful is that I have allowed myself to really enjoy my life as well and still compete at the top level. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it seems like it, it, it pays off <laughs> quite, so, <laughs> quite a lot. Um, and once again, more on the, on the technical, because I'm not a runner, so I'm very curious. Um, you were specializing in a 10K, then you went to semi-marathon and marathon. For me, starting at 10K, it's already like, long distance um but yeah what changes for an athlete um in terms of you know the performance itself uh what are the differences when you you know double the distance in a way the sprint goes i think to 400 meters and above that it's demi-fond which i don't have in in english uh, but at some point you have long distance so yeah what's uh what is different and how did you uh, did you adapt to all those uh, those changes up until you you reached the marathon uh, distance um yeah it's definitely the training is, is different. Um, the runs you have to get in a lot longer runs. Um, but generally the, the training stays the same with the, you know, you know, 10 days on one day off. Um, yeah, it's, it's not too much. It's not too different. It's just that you do have some longer runs and some longer workouts. Um, yeah. So your training will change a bit. Um, but it's, it's hard because you think of oh, 10k and marathon, they're so very different, but, um, it's still that's that general idea that you, you have two hard workouts in the week and you have the long run. It's just that the workout styles change a little bit and the long runs a little bit longer in the marathon. So, mm-hmm. so and that's the, the training part, but when it comes to competing, um, again, I just assume that a marathon, you only run uh, two, three four a year I don't know exactly and maybe when you were on the 10k it's a, a bit more because your body can recover from it so yeah how does that change and how many marathons do you try to uh, to run every year yeah absolutely that's the one thing about the marathon that's tough is you really can only run two maybe three a year uh so if it doesn't go well it's kind of like oh you know well yeah. I that's the only one I did you know all spring or all summer and so with the 10k there's you know, oh, well, I can run another one next week or whatever, oh, yeah. okay. you know, so it's definitely easier to mess one up or, you know, for me, I was supposed to run the London Marathon on April the 24th and I got sick and I couldn't do it. And so it wasn't like I could just reschedule, you know, they're hard to find the right marathon for you. So, you know, with the 10,000, it's a little easier to be like, okay, but even the 10,000 on the track, there's, there's not that many options, but it is definitely easier to find ones to race. So. Mm-hmm. And so how yeah. do you choose your, your marathon to say finding the, the good ones? Uh, there are so many across the world, depending all the time, but you want, I, I assume people were uh, marathon where you uh, compete against you know, Olympians to uh, compare or, or uh, race with them. So yeah, how do you choose yours? Yeah, uh, really everything is based upon, um, you know, trying to qualify for the next Olympics. Usually that's like the, that's the A goal is qualifying for like the Paris Olympics. And so what can you do in, you know, like the time between Tokyo Olympics and Paris Olympics to make that possible? You know, well, they, you know, the secondary goals are obviously like 
run fast times, um, make money, have fun, like all those things get mixed in. So you sort of have to start with what is, here's Paris, how do I get there? And then the other goals along the way. And so for me, the most important thing besides qualifying for Paris was trying to run the Canadian record. And so we knew last year would be the year that I wanted to try and do that. And so we were like, what is the fastest marathon in the world? And so there's a, there's a few. Berlin is one of them, right? That is where the world record is for men. It's in Berlin. So I want to go there. Berlin has good weather. You know, there's really, really fast women that run. And I also knew I could have a, I could run with the men there so I could have a pacer. So those were all reasons why I decided to go to Berlin and I decided to run that marathon. And then this last year, the Olympic window has opened. And so we will, we wanted to try and run a qualifying mark for Paris this spring. So again, we were like, where can I go where I can run the Olympic standard? Is it going to be a fast course? What is the weather like? Do I have enough time to recover after this to run world championships? Like all these things go into making the decision of, you know, and then ultimately, you know, sometimes it's like, well, am I going to make an appearance fee? Cause you do have to think about financially, you know, mm-hmm. does it, is it a smart decision? Um, things like that. And, you know, I'm running world championships this summer with, you know, we picked that because if I place in the top eight, that's an automatic selection to go to the Olympics next summer. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that goes into picking what marathon I'm going to do. Is it the right time of the year? All of these things, you know, it's kind of stressful, actually. So, but we have a, you know, A plan, B plan, C plan. And, you know, because things happen, you get injured, you get sick. You never know what's going to happen. So we have other marathons that we can do instead if we need to. Do you have a, you choose your, your marathon with a coach or is it just you yourself? No, I sit down with my coach and, you know, he always asks me, what do I want to do? And I tell him, and then we decide together if that's a good plan. But I always have the final say and the first say, but I trust him very much. And I know that, you know, he, what he has to say is, is very important and very valid. So um, I listen to what, he has to say and what he thinks and but at the end of the day it's always my decision so okay so how many marathons were planned initially in 2023 and uh, one of them in april in london uh fell apart for you so yeah how do you uh did you change your plans did you select another one maybe a smarter one like soon to to still run one or did you just move on, move on to the next no we knew that like if i wanted to do world championships they're august 27th And we knew if, if for any reason I couldn't get to the start line of London, that was it. There wasn't going to be time to do another one before world championships. Okay. And so um, I will likely only do one marathon this year. And if I don't qualify for um, the Olympics there, then I will do probably a marathon in January or February of 2024. Okay. So, so you mentioned the, the, qualification window which is what a year or so so you have it's, two three opportunities still, sorry yeah, go ahead. a year and a half yeah okay so you have maybe in that case four opportunities one london was one the world championship is another one um you mentioned either it's a uh, time you know if you go if you go below a certain time then you're automatically qualified if you make it, it to the top eight at the world you're automatically qualified are there any other way And are there well, marathons that are recognized? Uh, you you won't do the Marathon of Montpellier, which is my hometown in France, and get qualified to the Olympics, I think. So you must probably select like uh, international level marathons. Yeah, Athletics Canada hasn't actually come out with their official criteria yet. Um, yeah. We do know the World Athletics Standard has come out as 226.50. So we know that that is the slowest standard that Athletics Canada will set. So they could make it faster. Um, I have heard, you know, a very strong rumor that it's not a rumor. It's, you know, it's not official, but it's, I've heard it from very good sources that if you place in the top eight at world championships in standard, you are automatically selected to the team. Now okay. I am, you know, 
hoping that that is the truth, but you know, until it's actually on paper, you don't know. So, so other ways to qualify if you don't run the standard are by being in the world rankings and the top hundred in the world rankings. So you can get a good world rankings by like placing well at world championships, placing well at world majors, winning national championships. So, um, yeah, so you can try to do that and get in that way as well. So, okay. And is the, are the Olympics really the, the pinnacle of a career or the event you want to, you want to go to, or is it more the worlds or is, or is it like the, Mar no. the Boston marathon or, or the Berlin marathon? No. What's the, what is it like for, for marathoners? What is the, the one race you want to, you want to win? The Olympics. The Olympics yeah. is definitely the pinnacle of our sport in my opinion. Yes. <laughs> okay. So you, you went to the Olympics, uh, already 2016 and 2022. 2020 slash 2021 the first ones in the 10k then the marathon in 2021 yes yeah so how how are the these experiences you mentioned it's it's the one race you want to win so for now you participated in uh so yeah what's the what is it like to run uh is it does it feel the same than any other marathon or is it really something more special or you just focused on on your race all the time Yeah, it's, you know, it was such a different experience running the 10,000 on the track in 2016 in Rio versus running the marathon in Tokyo. You know, obviously, like we were in quarantine in, in Tokyo, and so there was no friends or family there. So, mm -hmm. and, you know, you weren't socializing. We weren't in the village because we were actually in Sapporo where the marathon was. So we weren't with any other teams. We weren't, it was a very different experience. Um, but it also allowed us to really focus on why we were there, which was to compete and to do the best that we possibly could not to, you know, you want to have fun, you want to enjoy it. But I think it really gave me the opportunity to focus solely on what I was doing. And I ended up running really, really well. And um, I think because it was my second Olympics, um, I had, a, and I was older, I had a little more of this, gratitude that I was running with versus this like really nervous and like oh my god this is the Olympics it was like yes this is the Olympics but like it's just so incredible to be here and like to get to do this and I feel like when you're running with that mentality you just it just is so much more enjoyable and you end up being a little more successful so I ran better in Tokyo uh, I wasn't as nervous um, and I was just you know, a little more confident, you know, through the, you know, it, it takes time to build confidence to really believe that you can run at the, at the world level that I belong there. I wasn't there, as you said, like to participate, like my goal was to place in the top 10, like, okay. which, you know, I came close. I was 13th, Melanie was ninth. And so, um, yeah, you know, and, and in the Olympics in 2016, you know, For me, it was more like I got there and yes, I wanted to compete, but it was more like I just wanted to like get it over with in a sense because there was just so much anxiety going into it and I didn't see myself competing at the top level. I didn't think I belonged. I didn't think I was good enough. And so uh, I had a huge shift in my, uh, in my confidence and everything going into, you know, into the Olympics in, in Tokyo. So Um, I'm carrying that forward into world champs this summer and, you know, whether people believe it or not, it doesn't matter. I believe I can place in the top eight. I believe I can, you know, fight for a position in that top five. And so, um, unless you truly believe that you're never going to compete at the world level. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it seems like it's quite true since you were not you know, believing in yourself at 22, 23. And now that you do, you, uh, you beat records after records. So, In 2021, actually, you were you didn't have so many marathons behind you, right? Because I read that you had the second best Canadian time in your second marathon, I think, in 2020. So 2021, you probably had maybe a few more, but you were much more confident in your approach to the Olympics versus 2016 when you had much more experience on the 10K. Yeah, so, um, in, yeah. in 2020, I ran... Uh, uh, my first marathon in seven years. Um, and then, yeah, then I ran the Olympics like six months later. So going into the Olympics, I really was pretty fresh at running the marathon distance, but I was just so confident 
in my training and what we had done. And, and because I had competed at the top level many times before I had that as well to take in with me. So of course, I mean, I was nervous and everything, but I was also like, I felt very prepared for the race uh, mentally and physically. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I've run five marathons total. At this point? Yes. Uh, the yeah. Olympics, okay. Um, and you mentioned something very quickly about 2016, mentioning you had anxiety. Is that something that you had recognized as being anxiety at that point? Or was it just years after that you realized what, uh, you know, what you, what you were uh, feeling? And how did, did you actually work on it um, purposefully? Or did you just, you know, grew up, grow up and, and just went yeah. over it? <laughs> I think, you know, yes, I, I did see um, a counselor and we we got something sorted. I saw a counselor and a sports psychologist. Um, I did go on some medication to help me. Um, but I think ultimately after 2016, I got settled in my life. And I think that that really had made all the difference. And since 2018, I haven't had any more sort of anxiety, panic attacks or anything like that. And I've been really good. I think I learned tools that have helped me and I have, a, I, I thrive on, on being very stable and settled. And so that is where my life is. I know what works for me and what doesn't in terms of like going to training camps and things like that. Like, so it's just sort of a trial and error in, in, getting to where I am today. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I have anxiety anymore. Um, I think that was, that was then. And I've, you know, become sort of beat it. I would like to say not to say, I mean, it could rear its ugly head again, but I feel very, very good with how I train and how I compete. And I don't have those same feelings that I used to have in 2016. Uh-uh. And um, and how did anxiety not affect you, but express, um, for example, at the Olympics? Was it, you mentioned panic attacks, or was it really you, you know, overthinking things or did it really you know, impact you physically uh, for your races? Yeah, you know, in, in uh, 2015 and 2016, I was uh, really not sleeping well and I was just, you know, at one point in June of 2016, I remember just saying to my friend, I was crying and saying to my friends, like, I don't even want to go to the Olympics because I felt so much pressure and just, it was just awful. I, I, you know, like to make it is great, but then you're like, I have to compete at the top level and I don't think that I belong. I don't think that I'm good enough. And I couldn't sort of, and that just made me feel so anxious. And I was like, I don't even want to go anymore because I can't handle this. And Yeah, it was very tough and it's a huge part of the sport. Like so many people deal with that same sort of like imposter syndrome. Like I don't belong Mm -hmm. here. I'm not good enough. And that snowballs and makes you feel just awful. And when you're not sleeping, everything is even worse. So um, yeah, I was fortunate that I had great people in my corner and great friends and family that like, you know, talk to and we got it, we got it sorted. And then, you know, and when I got back from the Olympics in 2016, I met my partner who I'm with now still. And when he came into my life, you know, it sort of turned everything around. Like he's just such a calm presence and um, it's, it's been, I've been really good pretty much since then. So. Very nice. Very nice to hear. Um, you, you said that there are so many athletes um, dealing with anxiety or that imposter syndrome. Is it because the, mindset of a high level athlete is to always overachieve and get better and that's how you you know you end up beating records is being the best that ever lived on the on the planet in a country or in the world do you think that's a common theme and is that something that you've seen being taken care of and and talked about more in in the recent years or more freely in a way i think we you know as pro athletes, you know, we're, we're all very competitive and we're all, you know, we want to be the best that we can be. So a lot of this pressure we, we put on ourselves, I think, but also there's like financial, you know, you need to compete well in order to make money in order to secure sponsorship. So there's that part of it too. Right. And that's like 
life in general, when you're, you know, people get really stressed out and anxious about performing at work. That's the same for us. So I think in the last five years, there has been a lot more um, awareness of mental health issues in our sport, which is so great because it can be absolutely debilitating, just like any other injury. So um, it's definitely being talked about a lot more. Athletes are being more vocal about the, the, you know, the mental and emotional side of sport. And, you know, like almost everybody, every athlete I know has seen a sports psych at some time. And so I think that's really great because it is such a big, a big part of sport. Mm -hmm. And well, you touched upon it twice, I think. And you, you mentioned about the, the financial aspect of, you know, being a pro athlete. Um, you are a pro marathoner, a pro athlete, but yeah, do you leave off the sport? And is that uh, frequent as a marathoner? Do you run with sponsors? Do you run for sponsors in a way? You said you need to do some appearances for, I don't know, representation and stuff. So yeah. What is it like for you? Yeah, I I have great sponsors. I'm with ASICS Canada, and mm -hmm. yeah, they they support me really well. I make a salary, so I'm definitely a professional athlete. Um, I also am um, carded from Athletics Canada, so I I get support from our governing body. Um, I coach on the side as well. I coach some women, so I have some income coming in there. And of course, you know, I make money, prize money. Um, by racing and things like that. So um, yeah, I'm able to support myself um, quite well as a professional athlete doing, um, doing all, of, all of those things. Like the coaching is, is quite minor that I only coach four girls, but yeah, um, that's more of a passion project. I mm -hmm. would say um, eventually I would like to coach full on and be a high performance coach and coach little Natasha's. So <laughs> one would day that's be... transition. Yeah. What would that mean next? Uh, it won't be in criminology. You mentioned it quite uh, clearly, but <laughs> yeah, would you stay uh, in the sport after uh, after your career uh, and especially in like running? Yeah, absolutely. I want to stay in the sport. I want to be a high performance coach. I want to also coach, you know, all sorts of women in all, you know, like I don't like, sure, maybe I'll end up coaching some guys, but I, I feel like there's such a strong need for women coaches coaching other women. So that's kind of where I see myself um, in the next over throughout, you know, when I'm retired from the sport in the next five years or so, that's what I want to do. And yeah, make right. a difference in the sport for female athletes. Very interesting. Um, I'd like to dig just a bit into what goes so you run for two hours and two hours and 30 22 hours and 25 minutes every time you're, you're on the marathon what goes on in your brain for that whole duration you know on the sprint not much goes on it's like you remember every single move you have to do when you cross the line but two hours and two and a half hours let's say um yeah for example the the marathon in berlin last year when you uh, break the canadian records And you kind of know you can reach it because it was the objective from from the year. Uh, yeah, what goes on for uh, two and a half hours in, in your head? Uh, we get asked this question a lot. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because you, 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 you never get bored. It's not like I'm out there and I'm like, oh, I'm bored. Or I'm like thinking about dinner. You know, there's always something to think about. It's like, okay, how am I feeling? Like, How am I, how is my breathing? How is my glutes doing? Are my feet okay? Okay, where's the next water station? Okay, it's here. I'm going to take a gel there. And okay, this guy running next to me is too close to me. I wish he would back off. Like, can you get out of my way a little bit? Like, these are the things. There's always something to think about, you know, like, stay relaxed, shake your arms out. Okay. And then I'm thinking, you know, okay, where's Alan? That's my partner. He's out on the course. Okay, where do I think he's going to be? Do I think he's going to be around this corner? It'd be really nice to see him. I need to let him know that I'm doing okay. Should I give him a thumbs up? Like these are the things <laughs> that I'm thinking in a race. But, you know, it's constantly circling back to, okay, stay relaxed, stay relaxed, calm down. This is going really well. Like, yeah, just generally stuff like that. It's trying to okay. stay patient. Yeah, and on that uh, on that specific race in September last year, um, did you you were on a, on a pace? You knew that from the from the beginning you were on the pace for the, for the record. Do you have like checkpoints? And is that a race where you're more focused on the performance itself and the seconds versus you no know, the small details like 
where's my uh, um, partner and <laughs> where's the next water station? Yeah, is, is is this a, a different mindset? You're in a different state of mind, or is it for you? You know, just run like you like you used to. Yeah, I had um, I had somebody pacing me, and okay. so he was there just for me. I was paying him; he was my pacer. And so that took a lot of the thought out of it for me to think about, okay, I need to be running this specific time because he was doing that for me. So I was running right behind him and I knew we were running on pace. I was hitting my watch every 5k and I knew we were running perfectly to execute the race. And I felt really good. So, you know, I let him have that control and that was really nice for me to be able to take that mental aspect out for me. I didn't have to worry so much because I just trusted Mm -hmm. him. And so I was able to like wave at my partner on the side and be like, I'm doing really well. Things are going well. And like sort of can you want to conserve the mental mental energy as much as you can in the marathon. So you want it to be very light in the first half of the race. You don't want to be thinking about like, I need to make this move. I need to do this. You just want to think, okay, staying relaxed. This feels good. Like calm, even keel. And then when you get to 30K, it's like, now I need to move. I need to, this hurts. Let's go. Let's get that girl. Let's pick up the pace. And you're all in. And you're like, you're no longer thinking about, I need to say hi to my partner. I need to, you know, it's all about what can you do to run as fast as possible in that, in those latter stages. Very interesting. Um, so f- for you, 2023 is qualifying for Paris plus the world championship. Next mm-hmm. year is goal is Paris. So is 2025 mm-hmm. another uh, national record? I hope so. That would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when do you think you will reach your peak or performance? Oh, peak? you know, I feel like I have three or four more good years in me. So I think until I'm 45, I think things are good. Awesome. Um, and in terms of age, if you were able to give yourself an advice or talk to a 10 year old Natasha, what uh, piece of advice would you give her? (laughs) Um, I think I would tell her not to worry about what anyone else says or thinks and to just follow her own path. And it's okay. You know, to these young girls, it's okay. If you don't want to get married and have kids, (laughs) you don't have to. (laughs) Um, I think there was a lot of, pressure and I felt a lot of you know that when I was in my 20s that if I didn't get have kids or I didn't get married that I wasn't I wasn't doing it properly or I didn't get a proper job running wasn't a proper job I just felt a, real a lot job, of pressure what people say a real job <laughs> I, yeah I think that you know women these days you know we don't have to have kids we don't have to get married you can do whatever you want to do so okay. I think I would tell you girls that yeah okay um professionally and personally what can we wish you in the next two years professionally I think it's it's pretty uh, crystal clear but still yeah you know I I want to run well at the world championships this summer but in the next you know a few months you know I'm running some 10ks national championships on the road and national championships on the track and I would love to win both of those like I want to I I, I, I want to run personal bests in those Um, and I want to have fun and I want to enjoy the summer training for the world championships and just really, you know, appreciate how lucky I am to do this and get to spend the summer training and get paid for it, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Like I get to do this. So I really just want to enjoy the next few years of, of this running career because it is just such a privilege to do what I do. And so I want to enjoy every moment of it and, Um, yeah, and hopefully world championships goes well. And, you know, for any reason it doesn't, we refocus and try again. And it's not the end of the world. We, you know, everything is, is icing on the cake. We said since Tokyo, you know, we didn't know if I would still be running well in my forties. And so the fact that I am is really just a cherry on the Sunday and it's been such a great career. So I, yeah, I feel very lucky to do this. Wonderful. Well, we uh, wish you only but the best, and I'm sure the, the listeners will uh, will do as well. Um, one typical question at the end of the podcast is uh, if you were to um, uh, let I mean, yeah, give me the name of a person, an athlete, Canadian athlete that you know, that you think has uh, 
at least as amazing as you story to tell, who would that person be? Uh, Melindy Elmore. She has a fantastic story. You know, she went to the Olympics in 2004 in the 1500. And then she's went to the Olympics in Tokyo in the marathon, you know, right. almost 20 years later. She's incredible. Wow. Um, and she has two kids. She coaches at the University of Okanagan. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's great. She's very inspiring. So, oh wow, um, amazing! I, yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Um, and the second one is I'm uh, building which a wall that's becoming quite big now. It's called the Wall of Fame, where I put a few <laughs> gears from the people that came on the podcast. Is there any uh, gear from your career that's the you know are uh, gathering dust somewhere in a drawer that you might uh, might want to give away. Oh yeah, I've got I've got some race numbers. I've got some old race kits. I'm I'm happy to send them to you. <laughs> Wonderful. So I'll send you. Or, or next time I'm uh, I'm in BC, I'll uh, I'll let you know. Awesome. Uh, sure. Cool. Where the should the followers or listeners uh, follow you? Instagram, Twitter, anything? Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, Strava. I post all my training on Strava. So if you're ever interested in what I'm doing, I, I put it all out there. The good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and I'm per I, I post on Instagram a lot on my stories. So you can follow along, especially if you like cats. Um, <laughs> I have two cats, so I post about them a lot. But yeah, I'm Interesting. out there. Yeah, so, I'm uh, either Kat Wodak or Natasha Wodak. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I, I followed for some time your Strava and I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I was just feeling so bad <laughs> not running. And I was like, no, oh, I, can't, I can't see that anymore. That's too good. Uh, cool. <laughs> so th thanks uh, so much for, for spending the time here. It's, uh, it's amazing. I hope we'll see 10 more years of you of amazing uh, uh, successes. And we wish you only but the best great results at the, at the Worlds. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on TV at the, at the Olympics next year. Oh, thanks so much. It was a pleasure. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.